the revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. Hi, this is Rick Allen, and I am speaking with Desi Doyen, the Green News reporter for KPFK's broadcast and bradblog.com. Hi, Desi. Hi. I kind of figured you have been following that Glasgow Climate Pact. (laughs) Yes, just a little. They call it Climate Summit 2021, or COP. Yes, they call it COP because it stands for Conference of Parties, all of the parties to the Paris Climate Agreement and all efforts to uh, arrange a United Nations Global Climate Summit Treaty. Okay, and this was the 26th uh, time they've gotten together since the 90s? (laughs) Yes, it is. And we're still not at 1.5 degrees Celsius, are we? Well, we're still trying to reach the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. That is the the aspirational, the stretch goal in the Paris Climate Agreement. The Paris Climate Agreement was signed in 2015 by 196 countries, uh, all members of the United Nations. And the goal in the Paris Agreement is to have global temperatures rise no more than 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. But the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature target has become increasingly more important as the science has improved and progressed. And now scientists say, hey, look, the 1.5 degree target is um, much better and much less catastrophically dangerous than the 2 degree target. So we have to shave off as many tenths of a degree of Celsius as we possibly can. Is that why I saw signs, uh, T-shirts, of people? People who were there saying uh, 1.5 live or 1.5 and we stay alive. alive. Yeah, that was the... um that was the sort of the rallying cry of this particular COP26 summit um, because as we are continuing to emit and not and temp, and countries are not meeting their pledges to cut their emissions as fast as they need to as the science science shows that they need to that we are increasingly uh running out of runway in order to meet that 1.5 degree target right now what is net zero emissions uh what what exactly does that mean well, so net zero emissions is is a pledge, a very long-term pledge for countries like the United States, for example, to cut all of their greenhouse gas emissions, not just carbon dioxide, but also including things like methane and uh, uh, CFCs and HFCs and all other kinds of climate warming gases that um, if you cut them by... Uh, to net zero, which means that you emit no more than can be taken up or offset in other ways um, to a net zero uh, emissions by 2050. That is the goal overall that science shows is probably the target that we all need to 
to uh, to reach by 2050 in order to have a pretty decent chance of staving off the most catastrophic climate impacts by the end of the century. And um, when we say catastrophic, when the scientists say catastrophic, they mean catastrophic, like, you know, end of civilization type stuff. Oh, is that all? I, I, yeah. I, it makes me hope that reincarnation doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that, I don't want to live in that world. But anyway. Nobody does. Really, <laughs> these projections are quite dire for uh, every, every bit of warming that humanity adds to the atmosphere uh, with greenhouse gases today is cumulative. You know, carbon dioxide, for one example, uh, hangs in the atmosphere for hundreds and hundreds of years. So right now, we are still emitting, and all that we have ever emitted of carbon dioxide through human activities is still in the atmosphere, uh, trapping the, the sun's heat within this blanket of CO2 and other greenhouse gases. So that's why the planet is warming, and that warming is already manifesting in extreme weather disasters that we're seeing more frequently and more intensely um, over time as the uh, warming accelerates. Right. Okay, let's move to what was decided upon uh, last Saturday, um, November 13th, the Glasgow Climate Pact. Uh, What exactly, (laughs) in 25 words or less, (laughs) of course not, uh, what exactly uh, are, are the high points and maybe low points of the Climate Pact? All right. Well, so the Glasgow Climate Pact is an update to the Paris Climate Agreement. So, again, the Paris Climate Agreement tried to set a level of two point uh, of two degrees Celsius, and the Glasgow Climate Pact um, updates the Paris Climate Agreement in a number of ways. Uh, for one, it actually calls on countries to really, really try to target one point five degrees instead of the two point uh, the two degrees Celsius in the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, it also uh, had a number of major announcements that came through, and uh, among those major announcements, the, uh, the good news out of that is that if all countries meet all of their targets and all of the deals that were announced at Glasgow are followed through on, on time and on schedule, then the new projections say that we do appear to be within the window of having a decent chance of reaching, uh, of not even getting to 2 degrees Celsius, but getting to only 1.8 degrees Celsius. Now, that's not guaranteed right now. Um, And also, the interim targets that countries have set, uh, this was revealed at the Glasgow Climate Conference. The interim targets the countries have set for 2030 you know, because they have the ones for 2050, they also have targets that they set for 2030. Those 2030 targets are so weak right now that even if countries met their 2030 targets and eventually met their net zero by 2050 targets, we're still going to warm the planet on our current trajectory to 2.4 degrees Celsius. And that is really, really dangerous and will be some, it will trigger some very, very unpleasant side effects. Well, that now, uh, we're talking about countries. Uh, uh, the three largest greenhouse gas emitters are China, the United States, and India, uh, which uh, uh, they're accounting for nearly half of global emissions. Now, uh, those are those three, uh, they are said to want to uh, meet these uh, 
these levels. But what about the smaller countries? In, in other words, the, the, maybe the south of the border countries who are feeling the effects of climate change in a much more dire way than the major countries, the, the big Well, three. now you have hit upon a very interesting and nuanced issue. Um, so, for example, uh, yes, China, you, the U.S., and India are the three top emitters in the world, but the United States is by far the largest historical emitter in the world and by far the largest per capita emitter in the world. So an individual American, on average, emits way more than the individual Chinese person, and that's even way more than the individual person in India. So uh, even though India is the third largest emitter, they're far, far, far below China and India. But China has now surpassed the U.S. in annual emissions. So um, those are two aspects there. But then there's also the difference between developed countries, wealthy countries, industrialized countries, mm -hmm. and developing countries. So India, for example, is a huge emitter, but it also is trying to lift a billion people out of poverty. So they're not going to have the same level of responsibility for the emissions that they have today. They don't have the same level of historical emissions that the United States has, and they don't have as much capacity to cut, both cut their emissions and build clean energy and respond to extreme weather disasters and lift their people out of poverty, whereas the United States does. And China is kind of in this weird place where China is both a wealthy country but also a developing country with many, many people that they're also trying to lift out of poverty and they're also trying to build infrastructure and catch up to the rest of the industrialized world. So in that case, the United States and the European Union have a much greater responsibility for the emissions that they've already put into the air using up most of the carbon budget of what we can safely emit as a society globally um, before tr you know tripping over into really dangerous climate impacts right. so the, the differences between the developing nations and the, the wealthy industrialized nations um, has what the United Nations calls common but differentiated responsibilities. And those differentiated responsibilities touch on the historical emissions, the current emissions, and the capacity of individual countries, like you mentioned, those in the global south who do not have the capacity to respond to extreme weather disasters, to restore and repair after these disasters, to harden their own infrastructure and prepare for adaptation, things like sea level rise. They, the Global South does not have that kind of capacity, and yet, as you note, they will be hit and are being hit first and worst by climate impacts. So it's a really, really complex and difficult negotiation that um, essentially is uh, what the United Nations is essentially trying to do is remake the entire human society, global energy system, and all of the industries and all of the markets and all of the people and all of the supply chains that we have today and remake it very quickly in a way that is equitable and fair and just for the people who in the global south had very little to do with creating the problem in the first place. And many countries, uh, because of the corporations, have resisted uh, ending their reliance on uh, what I call the unholy trinity, oil, gas, and coal. Yeah. Uh, it, w did they actually deal with each of those? I, I know coal was brought up, as a matter of fact, in... Um, 
India, they changed a phrase, phased out, to be phased down. They got a lot of flack for doing so, maybe not fairly. But anyway, uh, I know coal has been mentioned, but what about the other two? Well, so fossil fuels, which is, this is kind of astounding, but fossil fuels, the words have never been mentioned before in an official United Nations document. But this time, finally, they were able to get it into the agreement and get it solidified in there. So, yes, China and India both stepped in at the last minute to change the wording. And it was just a single word. As you know, phase out was changed to phase down. They also changed the um, the call to end fossil fuel subsidies that governments give, which is like, you know, some billions and billions, like the United States alone gives the fossil fuel industry about $4 billion a year in taxpayer subsidies. You know, we can talk about the absurdity of taxpayers paying to destroy the climate and their own, in, and their own, and their own country, but that's another issue. But so the, they changed the wording from end fossil fuel subsidies to phase down inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. And the reason why that mattered was because all 196 countries have to sign off on every single word in those agreements. So China and India were able to stage that little maneuver at the very last minute. Everybody threw up their hands and went along with it because the really key thing was to have gotten in the words fossil fuels. That means the writing is on the wall that fossil fuels must be phased out. So it not, it's not as specific as most scientists and climate campaigners would like for it to have been, but for now, it's kind of the best I think that we could get. And, um, and again, it, it, it's, it's significant in that it points the way forward and it shuts off the other avenues of the uh, delays that have managed to prevent those words from being put into agreements uh, in previous summits. Now, who is Alok Sharma? He has taken on the role of the COP presidency designate. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the United Nations has uh, each host country. Um, when the UK in Glasgow was hosting the COP this time, and so each one uh, designates a, uh, a person to sort of be the, the host, the president of that COP, so that that person is responsible for making sure everything goes on time, everybody talks nicely, and yeah. something comes out of it. So Alok Sharma, that's who he was. He is the uh, British official that was put in charge of running this conference. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, he's the one that gave India a, a hard time about uh, changing the language. It, it seems like they're deflecting a little bit because the uh, United States is actually opening up the Gulf of Mexico to historically high amounts of uh, offshore drilling. Yeah, this is a big bone of contention with environmental groups. The Biden administration, when he first came in, President Biden had issued a pause on all oil and gas leasing offshore um, around the country because, un- until the Interior Department could review it. However, uh, Republicans and several Republican state attorneys general sued, and a judge declared that pause to be illegal and ordered that the lease sale should go forward as scheduled. So um, that is 
basically what the White House is forced to do. They are forced to go ahead and honor the judge's order and open the lease sale. Um, you know, there are some things that the Biden administration could do. You know, Biden could issue an executive order. He could do a couple of other maneuvers, but those are what analysts would say politically dangerous to do um, and could have a uh, you know, backlash effects that would affect other aspects of Biden's agenda. So um, not only did they have to do it for the judge's ruling, but there may be, and I don't have any special knowledge about this, but there may be political considerations as Biden is trying to get his Build Back Better Act passed. And it may be that uh, he's trying to avoid angering anyone who might potentially vote for the Build Back Better Act. And so it's, you know, that that remains to be seen. So, you know, there are things that he can do, but they are not without risk to stop that uh, Gulf of Mexico lease sale. And uh, I got a kick out of uh, Kerry um, uh, saying that uh, this is the starting gun right now. We have 10 years starting now. Hasn't he erased about, uh, about 26 years of history with that remark? Yeah, I'm not sure why exactly he said it. I I don't know the exact context of that. I think what he means is that okay, you know, by by setting this this new Glasgow Climate Pact, in which there are a number of things that we should that we should uh, I should run through the list of the number of of, of significant uh, developments that came out of it. Okay. Um, but one of those things is that we really do, as a human society, we really do have to cut all of our emissions globally in half by 2030, in order to be able to be on the pathway to completely net zero emissions by 2050. Right. Now. And just to be clear, net zero by 2050 still allows emissions of uh, emissions and includes and, and still allows the use of fossil fuels. But what we really have to get to eventually is phasing out fossil fuels entirely. But what Kerry is talking about are, I believe, these studies that have come out that have found this huge gap between what countries have said they're going to do by 2030 and what where we need to be by 2030 to actually have emissions cut in half and actually be on the pathway. Um, Again, because CO2 is cumulative, if we don't cut it now, if we continue to emit now and we're like, "Eh, you know, maybe we'll meet the 2030 target, maybe not, that extra emissions, those emissions will last for for centuries and will increase the warming on the back end for the unfortunate souls who live in future generations after 2050. So I believe that that might have been what he was referring to, that, okay, fine, we've got these agreements down now. We need to start now. So now is really the starting gun. We've uh, wasted all this time, all these years, trying to pussyfoot around the actual necessity of phasing out fossil fuels. Okay, well, his heart's in the right, or his voice was in the right place there. Uh, okay, so let's um, let's talk about the positive aspects of uh, what the pact brought us. Okay, um, so one of the things was that, uh, that they all agreed to, and remember, this is 196 countries agreeing to this, they agreed to a sped-up timeline for their pledge updates. The Paris Agreement originally had countries uh, ratcheting up their ambition every five years, so 2025 was going to be the next time when they would announce, okay, we're going to target this and we're going to do these things to get there. Now they're going to do it next year. 
So that's a good thing because that means that it it happens faster. So they're, they're, uh, the, the spotlight and the international pressure and the other legal uh, pressures that come from that um, will help countries move faster in ratcheting up their ambition. Um, they okay. also finalized the rule book for the Paris Agreement. Um, the rule book does things like verification, monitoring, reporting. Um, there's also rules for a global carbon market so that uh, companies and countries can trade emissions. For example, if you are you know, a major industry and you have a facility that emits carbon dioxide, but you cannot cut your emissions quite as fast as you need to, then you can pay somebody, say, with a forest in Malaysia to protect their forest and absorb carbon on your behalf until you're able to catch up. And the trading of those emissions credits is... um, it has to be designed very carefully to prevent countries from lying right. and from uh, cheating, double counting, like, say, you know, Malaysia says, oh, hey, look, we've got this forest. We've cut these carbon emissions here. But, you know, Chevron says, oh, but I've bought those carbon credits, so I want to take those carbon credits for my accounting. So they have to carefully design the rules in this rule book for the Paris Agreement in order to make sure that people aren't cheating, countries aren't cheating, and that everybody actually not only meets their targets, but they can be verified independently. Uh, I just want to remind people that we are speaking with Desi Doyen, who is the Green News reporter for Bradcast here on KPFK and bradblog.com. Any other positive aspects, Desi? Yes. Thank goodness there are. So there was uh, huge new agreements on both methane and deforestation. Uh, the global methane pledge uh, is more than 100 countries that represent about half of the methane emissions related to human activity. They all signed to onto a deal to cut methane emissions by 30% by 2030. That's a big deal because methane is a very potent, powerful greenhouse gas, which is actually more powerful than carbon dioxide, uh, like 86 times more powerful than carbon dioxide at trapping the sun's heat, but over short time scales. It only lasts in the atmosphere about 20 years, but it really packs a punch for that amount of time. So if you cut methane emissions immediately, scientists say you will have, uh, we will experience uh, almost a near immediate reduction in warming. So we can cut methane emissions now that will help to reduce and buy us some time overall as we try to cut carbon emissions. So there was that one, and then there was also a a, a declaration on forests and land use. That was more than 140 nations that represent more than 90% of the Earth's forests uh, that they signed on to this agreement to halt and reverse forest loss and land degradation by 2030. Um, And even Brazil, the... The, the country with the Amazon rainforest that has uh, where, you know, they have this really authoritarian dictator, Jair Bolsonaro, mm-hmm. who has pretty much stripped many protections from the Brazilian, uh, the Amazon rainforest. Even Brazil signed on to the deforestation pledge, not just re- reducing deforestation, but actually funding reforestation as well. It always worried me to hear that the rain rainforests were on fire. I, they're just that's yeah. an image uh, that Brazil got stuck with, and for good yeah, reason. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the, the the Amazon rainforest is a huge carbon sink. It absorbs quite a, you know, I guess we would call them natural carbon sinks, like the ocean and the forests and especially the Amazon rainforest that absorb humanity's uh, carbon dioxide emissions. And 
unfortunately, with the rise in global warming, that does affect those natural carbon sinks in such a way that they can stop absorbing our carbon dioxide and they become themselves net emitters. And there are parts of the Amazon rainforest that are dying back or because of deforestation and burning of the forest for crops, all of that land clearing, that actually causes greater emissions. So stopping deforestation is a huge lever that can be deployed to improve nature's natural carbon sinks. Yes, nature's, uh, (laughs) the world's lungs. Yes, Um, and there were a couple of other really good uh, developments there. So um, there's a fund for climate finance um, that calls for wealthy nations to contribute $100 billion a year to this fund to help uh, developing nations and poor nations to, uh, to both switch to clean energy and hopefully leap over the fossil fuels phase of development but also an adaptation fund so that they can uh, repair and rebuild and prepare for extreme weather events. That fund was supposed to have been $100 billion a year by 2020, but then Donald Trump came in and withdrew the United States from the Paris Climate Agreement, and he stopped those payments. Other countries also, other wealthy nations also did not follow through with their pledges. So that has been reaffirmed, and countries, the wealthier countries, have agreed to double their contributions to climate finance, the Climate Finance Fund, but they haven't done it yet. So it's only been a couple of days, so it'll take a while to mobilize $200 billion. So yeah. there, that was a good thing. There was also um, a, a, a new Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance, which was a, a group of some European countries, uh, Sweden, uh, California signed on as an associate member. This is a group, an alliance, that has agreed to end fossil fuel extraction, exploration, licensing, leasing, and uh, not just production, but also distribution. So they are gathering together to say, okay, we are now putting our countries on the path to phasing out fossil fuels, the production of them. Right. Well, as far as that fund goes, uh, we at KPFK know uh, it takes a while to turn those pledges into actual funds. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we do. And everybody's uh, everybody's funding is much appreciated, especially for those who are not sponsored by the fossil fuel industry who do not receive fossil fuel funding. And KPFK definitely does not receive fossil fuel funding. (laughs) That's right. Oh, and there was one more thing. Yes. One more thing. This sounds like it's not that great, but um, in, in reality, it is rather significant. The United States and China uh, came out with a an agreement that they would work together to raise their ambition and cooperate on climate change um, in the 2020s. Because again, the near-term actions are what John Kerry said we really need to focus on, and the scientists say we really need to focus on. So increasing all countries' ambitions in the 2020s is extremely important, and that does seem to be what has emerged from the Glasgow Summit. Excellent. Well, Desi, thank you so much for that wrap-up, and I'm glad we uh, you had a list of positive uh, results. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will have to say that there are huge gaps that still remain, but, you know, this is a positive step forward overall. Okay. We've been speaking with Desi Doyen, the Green News reporter at KPFK's broadcast and uh, bradblog.com. Uh, you want to give the show a plug, Desi? 
Yes, please. You can listen to the broadcast every Monday live on KPFK at 3 p.m. We also have a rebroadcast um, on Fridays at, uh, I think it's 4 p.m. And you can follow the broadcast on Twitter at the Brad Blog and on Facebook at the Brad Blog. And you can follow me uh, on Twitter and Facebook at Green News Report. Thank you so much, Desi. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see see you online. online.